Let's pray. Gracious God, as we gather in this place, we are so thankful. We are thankful for days like this, days when we can celebrate together, days when we can come together, days when we can remember what it means to be one church, not two worship services or Sunday school classes or small groups or whatever, but one church. One church that's gathered in this place to serve and to love, to become and to believe and to belong. So as we gather here in this place now, open our ears and our hearts to your words, to the story of Nehemiah as it draws to a close. May you speak to us each this morning as you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And the people of God said together, Amen. Well, need a bigger pulpit. Jim Collin, in his book, Good to Great, tells the story of a coaching staff of a high school cross-country running team that got together for dinner after winning its second state championship in two years. The program had been transformed in the previous five years from good in the top 20 of the state to great, consistent contenders for the state championship every year. I don't get it, said one of the coaches. Why are we so successful? We don't work any harder than any other team. And what we do is just so simple. Why does it work? He was referring to their simple strategy. We run best at the end. We run best at the end of workouts. We run best at the end of races. And we run best at the end of the season when it counts the most. Everything is geared to this simple idea. And the coaching staff knows how to create this effect better than any other team in the state. The kids learn how to pace themselves and race with confidence. We run best at the end, they think, at the end of a hard race. So if I'm hurting bad, then my competition must hurt a whole lot more. And so they win the race. So the lesson is, Are are you in a tough race? Don't quit. Sooner or later, you'll, you'll reach the point where your hard work during lean times will pay off. That is what I believe is the story of Good Shepherd and where we are now, that those lean times will pay off. It's also the story of Nehemiah that we began with this whole thing 35 days ago. We saw where Nehemiah prayed, starting in Nehemiah 2, and I'm all over Nehemiah, so you're going to have a hard time following along, but feel free to try. Nehemiah 2, verse 4 says, The king said to me, What is it that you want? Then I prayed to God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it is pleasing the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, Let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Davis, all those are all tied together, so you're going to have to go with me. One more. Thanks. You see, they rebuilt the gates one after another. I was asking Barbara Jones, who's in Israel right now, can you go find these gates for me, get a picture of them, send me a picture of where these gates are that Nehemiah rebuilt. She said, I'll work on it. But these gates, one after another, sheep, fish, valley, dung, what a gate that must have been, fountain. It's like HGTV, if you ever watch Fixer Upper, Jerusalem edition. But instead of shiplap, it's stone. And there was stone everywhere. You also might remember there was opposition to rebuilding the walls. Nehemiah 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the walls, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And then add insult to injury in verse 3 because misery likes company so much. Tobiah the Ammonite says... 
who was at his side, said this, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stone. Can you imagine that encouragement as you're trying to do something? And yet they continued. And in verse 7, it says, it's probably chapter 7, I'm not sure now. After the wall had been rebuilt, it's 7, and I had set the doors in place, this is Nehemiah talking, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed after the wall had been built. After Nehemiah and Ezra led the people to rebuild Jerusalem, they had this great day of celebration just 52 days after the work had begun. It will be 48 days for us from the Vision Sunday that we celebrated back in October to December 3rd, which is Celebration Sunday. Very close time frame to them. But I want to share some lessons for us as a church, but also for us as Christians. And the first life lesson here that we find in Nehemiah is life can be tough, don't give up. Life can be tough. Don't give up. Nehemiah's rebuilding project involved everyone. Mothers, fathers, grandparents, children, teenagers, everyone. And all of them knew how tough life could be. They had a rough past because of the exile. And their worst days were only a few weeks behind them. Those who had come before them had made some choices that cost them dearly. Some choices that just ruined their lives. They had known a lot of discouragement, a lot of disappointment. No doubt they were really numb to the entire experience. You might feel like that. And when you get to the point of total exhaustion, it's hard to keep going. This can be so tough because you must resolve now to never give up. You see, this church has never given up even in its darkest times throughout all of the years. It vowed it would still be here no matter what. It vowed that it would stay on this corner no matter what it took to make it happen. This church never gave up. Hi, everybody. You can't go to work right now. They tell me you can't come in. (laughs) Let me find my place again. (laughs) Never gave up. That's right. That's my place, right? The church has never given up, even in the darkest times. Don't give up, though, on the patience meter. It's hard to be patient, to know the right time, and to be able to wait until the right time happens. And don't go dry on the love and laughter as well during those times. Because when you're in dark times, often you lose all of that. Philip Yancey in his book, Disappointment with God, tells of a letter he received from a friend whose daughter, Peggy, was terminally ill. And the mother wrote this. The weekend before she went into the hospital for the last time, Peggy came home all excited about a quotation from William Barclay that her minister had used. She was so taken with it that she had copied it down on a three-by-five card for me, and it read like this. Endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. Endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. And I would say that's, that's what it's about when it comes to God's glory, that The things that we bear that are so hard, we have the ability in life to turn into something glorious, something that's much better. All of us have a choice to make about life. You can become bitter about it, or you can become better about it. You have that choice. If you become bitter about it, no one can pull you out of it but you, and you will get more bitter and more bitter and more bitter. But if you get better, then the same is true. You will get better. And you will get better. And you will get better. It's just the way that it works. You know, yes, life can be tough. Funerals come unexpectedly. Doctors read reports that spell out very bad news. Relationships sour. 
Stock market losses or job losses mean dramatic changes to retirement incomes and investments and financial security. There's all kinds of bad news. But it's critically important to stay the course and to work hard and to always move toward the finish line, even if it comes down to a crawl. Amen? This, I believe, is our moment of God's glory. This is a moment in time that we'll never live again, and we haven't lived until now, in which we have the ability to have a moment of God's glory among all of us. And in their moment of glory, in Nehemiah 8.1, they built the wall. Everything is behind them. It says this, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. And then skipping ahead to verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that everyone understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, verse 9, the governor Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This is the day, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And at first when I read that, I'm like, what's going on? Until you read the next sentence. For all the people have been weeping as they were listening to the words of the law. Because they hadn't heard it. And Nehemiah, then in verse 10, says, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the second lesson of life is this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Say that with me. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Maybe you didn't realize it, but this often quoted scripture is actually found here in Nehemiah, which you probably never read in your life. And here's the deal. This incredible little phrase, one that hangs up like artwork, one that we sing, means this. During tough times, the core of your joy, if you have joy at all, is going to be in your relationship with God. That is where you're going to find your joy. Nowhere else. You can't buy joy. You can name somebody joy. See, sometimes I have to understand things better in the Bible by looking at them and taking them apart. And sometimes I can read a phrase a different way and begin to figure out what the words really mean. So, for instance, emphasizing different parts of this phrase, you get these things. The first one is, if you emphasize the joy of the Lord is your strength. Or you can say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Or, the joy of the Lord is your strength. But the real emphasis is this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, joy comes from God, not from anywhere else. Are you a parent, a mom's strength, a dad's strength, a grandparent's strength? It's limited. But the Lord, there is no limit to that strength. There's no limit to what God can do. Are your financial resources limited, sometimes not very strong? The Lord's strength is unlimited and forever strong. He is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. You didn't get my signal, so come on up. Come on, Shelly. Shelly has taught me a lot over the last four years. Yeah. Shelly has the gift of faith. I do not. And so it's always a struggle. I believe in what God can do, but I also sometimes don't believe that we do whatever God says for us to do. So it's a kind of a mix-up for me to have to try to figure out what we actually do, what God's asking us to do, or or not. And Shelly always says, it'll work out. 
Shelly's always said that. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably the handless, I think. Looks like Jesse's running to go get it. And so I asked Shelly, she's written, don't, don't skip ahead, but she's written the last devotional. It's the last one, isn't it? it? Is the last one in the devotional, which is December 4th or something like that, right after that. And it's called, what's the last devotional called? Water butts and hose pipes. Water butts and hose pipes is the last devotional in the book. Don't skip ahead. God's watching you. Do not no. skip ahead and read it. Mm-hmm. You read it every day and you wait till you get to that one. But I think you'll find it very interesting. And so I just wanted to, to ask her from, you've seen some of her testimony in the, in the Vision Imagine brochure as well. And I just wanted to ask you, what, how has Good Shepherd impacted your life? Well, several weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy asked me and eight or nine other people to give him a hundred words on what Good Shepherd means to me. So I sat down at my computer and I started typing. And after a few minutes, I glanced down at the word count and I had 1,022 words. So I texted him and I said, a hundred words, really? And he said, yes. So what you read in this vision brochure is my hundred words. When I emailed those hundred words to him, he emailed me back and he said, okay, now give me 200 words. Thank goodness I saved that 1,222-word document. So part of what you hear today is that thousand words, but not quite. (laughs) Scared you, didn't I? I told you, it's all this going to go. <laughs> Thanks to Good Shepherd, Daryl Houston, and Suzanne Winton, I was given the opportunity to attend the Walk to Emmaus in the fall of 2013. That weekend changed my life. I left there with a whole new perspective on how to live. The experience helped me to realize how much more I need to learn how much more I need to do, and how much more God has planned for me. And with his help, I'm doing things I didn't know I was capable of. For example, I have been facilitating the Wednesday night women's Bible study, better known as WINGS, for almost four years. It still amazes me that those ladies want me to continue to lead them, as I have no formal training in teaching. And as most of you know, I gave up a very successful career to come to work for the church for three and a half years, retiring last May. That was definitely a leap of faith, but it was what God wanted me to do at that time. And thanks to Sean Stanfield, I am much more bold in following the Holy Spirit's promptings. With God's help, I try to live into his will and plan for my life every day. Good Shepherd is a major part of where I am to serve him right now. That's it. Next question. So, so, I mean, when it comes to Imagine, we've talked about this and just the whole, the whole nature of this. And you've always been faithful and you're a self-avowed tither. Um, you do that and speak about it and talk about it and vehemently sometimes about that. I just wonder what, what makes it, what, what does that do to you? What does that mean for you? I mean, why, why is this important to you? Why is that important to you? Why is, this, why is all this important to you? Why, why won't be a part of this? Okay. I believe deep down in my soul that God wants us to pay off our debt. Imagine, with me please, having all of our programming funded. Children, youth, congregational care, whatever needs we have, sending the OCC boxes without having to ask for more money. Whatever we need through our ties with money left over. On Children's Sunday, we try to raise $5,000 for the year's programming. People, that is less than one mortgage payment. One. And I want you to think about that. So combine that with our offerings, and we can live out our vision. The sky is the limit. We can bring souls to Christ through community events, sponsoring mission trips, and missionaries if we want. There's nothing we can't do. 
And speaking of tithing, <laughs> it's your show. if you're not tithing, and that means giving 10% of your income to the church, I challenge you to try it for one month. If you think you can't afford to, I'm here to tell you, you can't afford not to. You cannot outgive God. He will provide. And after that 30 days, when he has proven me right, <laughs> do it again for another month and another and another and another and another. Thank you, Shelly. Can your health falter, leave you physically weak? Of course it can. Perhaps it has. But the Lord's strength, however, is perfect and complete. Our confidence in God is at times the only strength we know. So our joy is knowing that no matter what comes our way, whether it's a personal hardship for our family or our church, or maybe just the up and down and routine things and the good and bad times, through it all, we have a relationship with a God whose strength is overwhelming and is unlimited. Amen? And because of that, we have joy. You see, because happiness is fleeting and joy is eternal. Practically, that means you'll put God first in all things. Don't you know women and men like this? They just exude joy. And at the same time, they're immersed in the things of God. You wonder why they're like they are? It's because they spend time with God all the time. And that's why we're not like that many times. Because we don't. It's not a magic thing that somebody has and somebody else doesn't have. It's because of our own things that we don't do. That doesn't mean the professional ministers doesn't mean taking any theology classes, like Shelley just said. She was just willing to serve and to lead a class who needed to have a leader because a lot of times what happens in our classes is nobody will lead it. Nobody will step up and say, you know what, I'm willing to go out on the edge and to do something to be a part of it. And so that relies on a handful of people willing to lead other people. You don't need any special training to lead a group in the family of God. And you don't need a special gift, but you need a heart that's willing to say, I'll be used by you, God. And that changes everything. And then the joy that's found by that is amazing. It's the only reason Shelley still does it, because she finds joy in it. It's just that they, they put God first. These folks put God first for so long, it becomes a part of who they are. They don't know how to be any different they don't know how to do anything else. Remember Jean's words. They just exude that. That she lived her whole life like that, whether you knew her or not. That she just lived like that. If that's a new idea for you, it's a great day to start the process. Worship with other people of similar beliefs. Make it a priority in your life to be gathered together. Not that everything else in the world takes the place of it or you only are a part of a group of believers whenever it seems to fit your own needs. Worship and let the team give you strength. There is strength in these numbers who are gathered together much more than us individually can ever find and ever do. Find support from God's people. Why do you think that she loved her church so much? Because they loved her. And they supported her. And they gathered around her. You see, Nehemiah's team gave out strength in the total package. If any one of the folks had tried to do his or her work on their wall alone, they never made it. It was too big a project. Since other people were building the wall with them, since there was a progress on down the line, then each person was encouraged to keep laying bricks because the other people were laying bricks as well. And Nehemiah even passed the opportunity to eat better food than his workers. Instead, choosing to live in the same quarters, eat the same food, get the same job done, through teamwork and by seeing the progress that was being made, the joy of the Lord was becoming more and more evident. Every time they put another brick down, the joy of the Lord was more evident. They just kept 
laying the bricks one after another. And before long, everybody was so excited because it was all coming together. Through teamwork, and in only 52 days, the walls of Jerusalem were standing tall and strong. Less than two months after 70 years of being destroyed, Jerusalem was rebuilt by the people who came back. Today we have a chance to do something together that none of us can do alone. And today is the last time that we will ever talk about this, at least while I am here. So if you're glad we're going to stop talking about this, say yay. Say yay! No, that was so weak. I heard a lot more than that. If you're glad we'll be not talking about this any ever again, then say yay. Whoa, that was powerful. I heard that. It made the mic boom, didn't it? Is that what it did? Wow. I was sent for this moment in time five years ago. That's why the conference sent me. To get us out of this. And to get you back on track so you could use all the resources and be able to move forward. It was the only reason. Good Shepherd needed to be healed and whole again and moving forward back on the track that was supposed to be on before all this happened. I'm the Joshua, I said in that first sermon, who came after the Moses to lead the people into the promised land and allow them to be fruitful and faithful and full again. This is our time when those who have come before us are counting on us. Every single one of us. They're counting on us to take over what it is that they had started and in some ways failed, but need our help to be able to finish up and to be able to move forward to the next generation. So over the last several weeks, we've been gathering together as groups of different kinds of people, talking about gathering some numbers together to be able to present for this day from some of the chief leaders and the faithful givers to have dinners and luncheons and desserts to be able to say this morning this number of families has already faith promised this amount of money. And so this morning what I want to announce to you is that 25 families have already faith promised $301,000 towards our goal for Imagine. And maybe some of the best part of some of that was hearing some of the stories about how they're going to get there. The 316 story that I shared last Sunday will always resonate with me. There are some amazing things that are going on. And so for this last part of this, I, I want you to pull out the card so you begin to think about this. Maybe you've already thought about your number and you have your heart number in place or you've given your heart number and all of that works the same way as well. You're still a little early, so if you guys want to have a seat somewhere, we could do that too. Or they can have a seat right there. Have a seat, guys. There's a card in your bulletin if somebody didn't make it to you. There's some cards on the sides of your pews as well. I went over this card. It was on purpose that we didn't get it till today, but you've already been thinking about a number, I'm sure, and it's a matter of filling it out and whether you're going to do it weekly or monthly or annually. You know, you may even say, well, I can't, I can't commit to three years. I don't know how I can do that. Well, it's a faith promise number, first of all, so you've got to figure out that relies on God, not you. There's no idea how these numbers are really going to translate over three years, but you're saying, this is what I believe God is saying to me. But if that's something you just can't do, you just can't seem to get it to you, and you can only think about a year, then figure that out. And then figure out the next year and the next year. But I really encourage you to 
figure out the three years. And once again, annually for three years means you may do it all at once or you may do it in chunks or however that might be. Whatever your commitment is, writing that down. If there's any assets besides cash that you're going to be doing with creative gifts, writing that down. Signing the card. This has to be something that, you know, everybody's names are on there. We can't figure out what your thing is without it. You know, so there's no way to really be able to figure those pieces out. This is a commitment. You know, usually on the stewardship things, I haven't done that, but this is a commitment. This is a part of saying, you know what, I'm part of this church. This is my church home. And I'm going to be able to write down the fact is this is what I'm going to do. Or that's a dollar or it's a million. If it's a million, that will be fine. Um, and if it's a dollar, never give anything else in your life before to the church, then a dollar will be as good as a million. Because if everybody gives something, it'll be an amazing thing just to see everybody be able to give. On the back side of it, there's some things that are on there for kind of looking at your salary and that sort of stuff and all that, or that sort of thing. Um, you know, Susan and I talked about it and thrown numbers around and you know those kind of pieces of it and the numbers we kind of threw back and forth between twelve and fifteen thousand dollars and trying to figure that out over three years and. And I began to think about it, and 15.6 seemed like a really good number because that happens to be um, an extra $100 every week over three years. It also happens to be the cost of what it cost for my car that just got paid off two months ago that I was hoping to have that money freed up to do something else with that I think would be better served by doing this. It's stuff like that, folks. If you feel guilty about it, don't give to this. But if this is your church home, then I hope that you feel led to want to give something to it, no matter what it might be, and however you can figure it out. Because it's our church home. We don't have any other place that we go to. And so as you're filling that out, I want you to hold on to it, and you can keep filling it out while I'm talking to finish up the last small piece of the sermon and to think about that. And then we're going to, in a little bit, bring these cards forward. There are also envelopes up here, so for some reason you just you can't handle the idea of somebody actually knowing what you give, even though God knows everything that you give. And of course, we'll have to know when they put the numbers together. Um, then there's envelopes. You can put a card in an envelope for that. Um, I'm telling you what we're giving because that's the way leaders do. Could I give more? Probably. I'm also giving my comic book collection away. I'm going to sell it and put the money towards it too, but I have no idea what that's going to look like. But that will up that money when it comes to it. But this is where we're starting. And wherever you have to start, if it's your head number, start there. If it's your heart number, come along with me. Can I tell you a little ridiculous story? Pastor Louise was praying last Sunday during my sermon, apparently. And um, she said that God was really speaking to her. I'm not sure about that part. But um, she said, I haven't given you a number yet because the number is so ridiculous. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I said, okay. So I'm trying to talk God out of that ridiculous number and find something that's in the middle ground so I can be able to live with that. That's the way it works. Just find a little bit of sacrifice somewhere in the midst of that to kind of help remind us that this place is important to us and we want to sacrifice for it at least a little bit or a lot. So the third and last thing is you have to practice joy. Joy is something you've got to practice. It doesn't really mean, doesn't really come naturally to anyone, but if you get the hang of it, it's kind of contagious. You can infect yourself with joy. Remember when I preached on joy and all the joy things started showing up? They're still in my office. The bottle of joy is still there. I have to rely on all the time because it's easy to have your joy sucked away from you if it's not true joy. And we need those reminders. But Nehemiah gave the theory of joy. Because look at verse 10 again. The Levites gave the command to be joyful, but until the people actually went away and practiced joy, they didn't know it. Until they prepared the feast and actually sat down to taste the food, they had no idea how good the feast was going to be. Until they tasted the drinks, they had no concept of how delightful that it could be. They realized the Levites weren't kidding. That the day really, really was meant to be for celebration. They literally practiced joy. And it didn't take them long to get used to joy. And once you get used to joy in your life, it's a lot easier to stay there than it ever is to go back to the life you're leading where you're unhappy. Because happiness will never last. And joy will. Joy is contagious. And even a baby can teach joy to adults. Haven't you seen it? A baby smiles or laughs. 
And every adult who sees it smiles and laughs in return. It's infectious. Maybe your goal is to join a gym and get in the shape. Obviously, one single day in the gym isn't going to get the job done. You'll need to do a little bit every day. Get a schedule. Stick to it. Now, the Bible comes along and says, practice joy. And if you can practice joy in the midst of lean times, you'll move quickly from surviving to thriving. Because in the shortest summary to close, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah is the story of God's people coming home after a 70-year exile and rebuilding Jerusalem. Because they returned home, the city was rebuilt, the temple was restored, and the stage was set for the eventual arrival of the Messiah. The history behind the 70-year exile is very important here. When all of Judah was taken into exile to ancient Persia, southern Iraq, northern Iran, the Bible tells us that somewhere between 4,600 and 10,000 people were taken into exile. War and a terrible plague had nearly decimated the entire population. In exile under better living conditions, the group expanded to an estimated 100 to 150,000 people. So there were between 100 and 150,000 people who were offered the chance to return to Jerusalem, to return home, and only a fraction of those people accepted the offer. The king said, go back, here's the money, here's the items for your temple, you've got my blessing, my protection, go home. And maybe 100,000 of those people heard the invitation and said, hmm, well, no thanks. But those who returned and were a part of it, were a part of God's great work, those who stayed behind missed being a part of the story. They had a life, sure. They had food. They had families. But they weren't home. Many of you stayed here at Good Shepherd when times were lean because this is your home. And you weren't going to leave no matter what. And I wish I didn't have to call on us all again, especially you guys from those years, to be able to move forward. But Good Shepherd is counting on you one last time to move that dirt and to dig us out of debt. For folks, they're like this. That's amazing. Where's that sound? My name is Lester Burkhardt, and this is Ethel Burkhardt, and we have been here for 22 years uh, and one week. My name is Debbie Taylor. I have been a Good Shepherd for 20 plus years now. Uh, I'm Sean Presley. I've been at Good Shepherd for five years? Six years? Five or six <laughs> years? Yeah. You've got volume, Davis. I turn it up. Okay.
vision. If we did not have vision, what else would we have? Because that is, within envision, uh, is the concept of faith. Faith is uh, looking beyond uh, the mountains that are in front of us, uh, looking beyond uh, the, the things that are holding us back and seeing what's on the other side. And what we're doing in this, uh, this program, or uh, this uh, campaign, is we're looking on the other side. Uh, and uh, we talk about debt, but we're looking on the other side of debt. We're not looking at the debt. Uh, it's as though we are imagining the debt away and what is going to happen uh, with the shepherd, with the extra money that we, will, that we are doing with the debt, uh, or paying on the debt, uh, and what will we do with that? So uh, imagine, envision. Uh, uh, I have always enjoyed the concept of visions. Uh, this building came uh, because of a vision. The CLC came because of a vision. Uh, we have no idea of how many other visions are going to pop up uh, in this field that we call Good Shepherd and how these visions are going to impact uh, the community as a whole. Uh, it is up to us to have that vision and to envision that and to bring it about uh, uh, through our efforts and with God's help. I would say the imagine, I think of what Good Shepherd has been through in recent years, the past several years. Um, the struggles, the uncertainty, the feeling like you're hanging on the edge of a cliff by your fingers and you're just holding on and holding on. And somehow we've come out of that. We've come out of that. We've climbed to the top. And it's time to move on. It's time to imagine big things, great things, wonderful things for God, the Good Shepherd, uh, for our community, for our families. Uh, it's time, uh, as I said, to go on with imagine. It's time to imagine. It's time to hope. It's time to grow. It's time to have vision again. I mean, at first, whenever I first started coming, it was the people when I first started getting introduced to people. It was really nice to, to get to get to know the church members. And then I got into the music program here at Good Shepherd, uh, pre-fan specifically. And once I got in pre-fan and started drumming for Good Shepherd, I sort of, you know, stuck with it and grew spiritually, you know, within the group and within the church, and that's what really, I think that's really what keeps me here is the fellowship of the music ministry and how we outreach to the congregation. It's beyond words, and as an adult, um, my husband's been able to join me here, he's been able to fit in with the music. And I mean, even now I'm able to reach out to my kids at school for various things. Um, when I'm having to eat with my kids, I know that I can come to the shepherd and say, hey, you know, even if it's just for a prayer, even if it's, you know, just support, um, they're there. And if it is something that's monetary, um, you can ask the smallest of things and you get this huge outreach and this huge outpouring of love um, for for kids, for the community, for even other churches around here. Um, you know, because of what Good Shepherd has allowed us to do, been able to get to um, Mount Vernon and all that, that we were able to affect kids there. And we couldn't have done that without some of the support from from Good Shepherd. So I can't say that it's one thing specifically. It's, it's the multitude of things throughout.
I really don't know what I would do without Good Shepherd. Um, we always had friends at church and other organizations, and church is definitely on the top of the list. We enjoy, we've always enjoyed the activities here. And you get to know people better by being in a Sunday school class. And of course, I'm in the choir, have been from the beginning. And uh, um, some other organizations uh, that I've participated in over the years. And when I say we, um, I'm including uh, my late husband, Bill, who has not been gone for us long. And uh, we, we just really felt at home here, and uh, the church has really been a godsend. But the one I, I like to think about and I remember the most is, and it's probably been I, I, 10 years or more, I, maybe more. I don't remember exactly, but it was a Christmas Eve service, and, and I had a certain amount of money left in my pocket, and it was Christmas Eve offering, and it was, I had $50, and that's all I had for to last me a while. And, and I just felt God calling me to go put that down on the altar for Christmas Eve offering, and I fought it and argued, and he said, no, I need you to do this, so I went down and laid that money on the altar, and I went back and sat in my seat, and other people were doing the same thing, and, and walking down, placing their offering, and one man in particular walked, past, walked back past me and shook my hand, and as he shook my hand, he slipped that exact amount of money that I had laid down, he put that amount of money into my hand. And that man was J.C. Faulkner, and I'll never forget that as long as I live. He had no idea that I just laid down my last $50 and was wondering what I was going to do when he turned around and put it right back in my hand just a few moments after I laid it down. That is a special memory that I'll, I'll never forget J.C. doing that for me. It taught me an important lesson that when you listen to God and be faithful and do what He's calling you to do, that He's going to be faithful back. Little did I know it would be almost instantaneous, but when you're faithful to God, He is faithful back to you in many ways more than you could ever give to Him. just the, the numerous people that have come through this church that have impacted me, that have made made me a better person just to be around them. Um, and and uh, just the, the super talent that we have had musically, uh, dramatically, uh, uh, theologically, uh, in all areas, uh, we have been so blessed uh, with the number of people that have uh, graced our doors and have come in. Uh, some are still here, and some stayed only for a while and moved on. Uh, but they still are a part of Good Shepherd, and they are part of who we are. Uh, a long time ago, uh, at, as we moved into this church, uh, someone came up with the vision of Good Shepherd as being the lighthouse in this community. And for a long time, the lighthouse was very important. Uh, we had lighthouses all over uh, the congregation and pictures of lighthouses. And, and I think that uh, that is still the vision. I think that, that vision has not gone away. Uh, that is still uh, the vision of Good Shepherd, that we are the lighthouse. Uh, that the, the neighborhoods around us, they should consider.
consider this their home, even if they've never been here before, uh, because we are the lighthouse and we know, they know that we're going to be here and that we will be able to help them and that we're ready, willing, and able to do anything for them. That's what we need to, uh, to instill on our community, that we truly are the lighthouse and that we will guide them uh, to a safe uh, haven. So we'll invite our kids to come up because they've got something to give to us as a first part of what we're going to do. If you've already seen all their artwork. Make sure after we get asked to serve it that you bid on that if you haven't already. But the kids have got their last piece of artwork to lay at these altar rails to show us their, their piece to give to the Imagine this morning before we do. Thanks, kids. And one last thing as we go to do this, which we will take communion. Before we get to communion, there will be baskets that are right next to each one of the stations. This one will be in the middle, and you can put your cards in there and then be able to receive communion. And if you need to leave, you can go ahead and leave. Obviously, we understand that. Get out before the Baptists get out and meet us. Um, but I wanted to share this. There's, there's so much that's gone on. It's really been hard to try and shove it all into all this. But Teresa Green gave me this bag um, last Sunday. And it's kind of funny because she said to me, this is, this is my Imagine offering. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm looking for maybe a little different. But I'm like, wow, it's amazing you're giving this. I'm, that's great. You know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be supportive. But, but here's the deal. So she gives me this bag and she says, but you need to read the envelope and know why this is important. And this is what the envelope said. This was the cash my dad had available when he passed away. I put it aside, not feeling comfortable in spending it. I knew it is the right time to give it to the church. My parents would want to be a part of this so we can increase our ministry. So then I felt really foolish after that, of course. This is the first of our offering today from Teresa's dad. She couldn't be here. She's with her family. But So what I want you to do is to come up and we're going to take our cards up. If you need an envelope, you can have an envelope. And those who are in the praise team are coming up and giving their cards. And those and whoever else is coming up are doing all those pieces as well. Is I want you to um, Take those cards, whether those are the prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness cards, and your Imagine card or Imagine card, and take it up and put it into the baskets which are in front of us, and then receive communion, and then kneel and pray. Pray that God will multiply our offering and enable us to be able to do all the things that we've seen, talked about, heard, all these words of sacrifice, that we can be able to do all those things. And so I want to invite those who are coming forward to help us to be able to serve, go ahead and to come forward. The bread of Christ broken for us, given for us in love forever and always. The blood of Christ shed for all of us to remind us of true love and what it looks like, of true sacrifice and what it means to give fully from our hearts for those around us. Let us pray. Gracious God, may this bread and this juice be for us the reminders of your great love for us. You came down and gave your life, sacrificed your life, so we might have new life. May we live in that new life each and every day. Bless these elements now in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. People of God said together, Amen.
come forward. If you don't feel ready to do it, then don't try to fake a card or anything like that. Just come forward. Nobody's going to judge you for anything you're doing. Give from your heart. Just come forward and receive this blessing. If there's nothing else you're ready to do. Seas that are shaking and stirred can be calmed and broken for my
want you to raise your hands up in the symbol of joy, like you're excited, joyful. Everybody put your hands up. Not, not like I'm holding you up, so it's okay. Hold on a second. Like we're just celebrating something that we have done that's amazing. It's amazing to who we are, amazing to what, who we are as a congregation. You guys are done. You guys are next. Well, there's even balloons in this section over here. Look at this. they got the wave going on over here. So that's all that. No, not you guys too, so don't put your hands back up. Up back in front. Did you figure it out? No, if I'm blurry, it'll be all right. No, we'll no we got, we've got to get out of this place. Good Lord. This is about the longest service in Good Shepherd's history. Two hours, but we've got to do one more thing. One more thing. Nick Sanders is joining the church today, and he wants to have his time to be with us. So I want to ask him the questions as we, as we close together. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If you do, Nick, say, I do. I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and put your whole trust in His grace? If you do, say, I do. I do. Do you profess the Christian faith is found in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? If you do, say, I do. I do. Do you promise according to the grace given you to live a Christian life and become a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ? If you do, say, I do. I do. And I mention with Christians everywhere. Do you promise to participate in Good Shepherd with your prayers, your presence, your financial gifts, your service, and your witness? If you will, say, I will. I will. Nick, we're so glad you found us. We're glad to be here. And we are not going to cut out How Great Thou Art, so we're going to sing that for the go on the way out. It's number 77, How Great Thou Art. Sing it with all your hearts, with all your soul, with all your mind this morning, and we're going to leave on that. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world's our hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power of the universe displayed, then sings my soul. a mighty and gracious God. Amen? Amen? May you go forth from this day knowing that we are changing the future, that we are imagining what's going to happen next, and God is going to be faithful, and we are going to do this together. Amen? Amen. Take an angel. Take two. Take three angels. <laughs>